Well, I have been so blessed to be here this week. It has been a wonderful and amazing experience, a blessing and a privilege to meet so many from this body, to hear some incredible testimonies of what the Lord is doing around the world. It has been a great encouragement for me, and uh, God is producing fruit around the world, and people are coming to know him, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for Hofmatown's passion for missions, for its desire to make God known to the nations, and uh, I know that you're working and partnering so many amazing ministries that I have experienced this week, and uh, God is using you. So thank you for doing that. And I know we at AMG are very grateful for being your partners to spread the gospel to the nations of the world. Well, for those of you who were not here Friday or yesterday, as you can tell, I have an accent. And that's because I'm originally from Greece and English is my second language. And having an accent has an upside and a downside. The downside is I have to be really careful with some English words because I may get in trouble with how I pronounce them. But the upside is that uh, people tend to pay very close attention and concentrate when I speak, so <laughs> I love that. Okay. So our theme this week has been our hope. And today I want to talk about our hope for the gospel to transform the world. That's my theme for today. Our hope for the gospel to transform the world. And I want us to look at Acts 16 and 17, those two chapters in Acts, Acts 16 and 17, and examine some of the lessons we can learn from these two chapters as we consider for ourselves what God is asking each one of us to do to make the message of the gospel, the good news of the hope found in Christ, known to the people and nations of the world. Now, this passage has a very special uh, appeal to me because it signifies the arrival of the gospel to Europe, to Europe and to Greece from Asia, starting with the area of northern Greece, uh, with Macedonia, from where I come. That's where I come from, originally. So it's very special to me. And Luke's account in these two chapters, in Acts 16 and 17, culminates in Paul's message to the Athenians and the Areopagus on Mars Hill, where he presents the gospel to the Athenians. If you have your Bibles or your iPads, iPhones, whatever you're using, if you would like to follow along, I, you can go to Acts 17, and uh, I'll start there, where Paul addresses the Athenians. Now, Paul is in Athens on his way to Corinth, which is the economic center of power at that time in history for that region. And he is in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him. But while he's waiting, He's very intentional about sharing the gospel. Every opportunity he has, Paul is looking to share the gospel with the people around him. And his time in Athens is no exception. On March Hill, after complimenting the Athenians for their desire to be God worshippers and mentioning that he is there to talk to them about the unknown God whom he has seen mentioned on an altar dedication in their city, he tells them that this unknown God is the God who created everything, Lord of heaven and earth, giver of life to all, creator of all nations, the one they are looking for. And in verses 30 and 31 of Acts 17, we have the last part of Paul's message to the Athenians. I want to read these two verses, Acts 17, 30 and 31. The times of ignorance 
God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. My first point this morning is that God has given us a message that he wants us to share with others. God has given all of us, his disciples, a message he wants us to share with others. And of course, this message is the good news. It is the gospel. And it is a very simple message. It is the message that Paul begins to present on Mars Hill. In verse 30, he tells the Athenian the Athenians, of the need of all men to repent. The Greek word for repent is metanoeo, and it comes, it's one of those Greek words, like most Greek words that come from another two Greek words, and it comes from meta, which means a change of state or a change in condition, and noeo. Nous, in Greek, is the mind. So the word metanoeo, translated repent, means to change one's mindset, to see things differently, see them from God's perspective. It is more than just feeling sorry for your sin in your heart and turning to God. It's, it, it's a complete renewal of your mind and to see things as God would like to, for you to see them. In verse 31, Paul continues by telling the Athenians that God has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Him, of course, is Christ. And assurance, the word assurance in Greek is the word pistis, which we typically, we commonly translate as faith. So you could restate this little phrase, he has given assurance to all, as he has given everyone the ability to believe. In other words, he has given everyone the ability to believe in God by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, when speakers would go on Mars Hill, and uh, it's a neat place, if you ever have a chance, I highly recommend it. They had six minutes to deliver a speech. They, would ha they had six minutes to make their case. They would present a problem and propose a solution. And what happens here, Paul is interrupted one and a half minutes into his speech. If you time it, it's one and a half minutes. As soon as he starts talking about the resurrection of the dead, some of the Greeks think he's crazy and laugh him off, and the speech ends. And Paul will later reflect on this, and in 1 Corinthians 1.23, as the King James translation puts it, says that the gospel, the crucified Christ, is foolishness to the Greeks. To the Greeks. So, Paul is presenting the gospel to the Athenians and its very essence, it, it is a very simple message. I would like to share it with you. I like visual, so I, I would like to put it on the screen and just share what Paul is presenting to the Athenians that day. If we have the slide there. <laughs> That's it. God created men to enjoy fellowship with him, but sin entered the world and created a chasm between men and God. And in Romans 3.23 we read that for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions to this. All of us start as sinners separated from God. And there was nothing 
that men could do to overcome this sin. So God, changed, God sent his son to bridge that gap. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read, For our sake he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made it possible to once again have fellowship with him by sending his son to pay with his blood the penalty for our sins and satisfy the wrath of God. And when we receive Christ, we have reconciliation. In John 1.12 we read, But to all who did, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we accept Christ in our hearts, if we truly repent, and only if we truly repent, we have reconciliation. We have peace with God. We become his children. And that is the simple message of the gospel. That is the message of hope that is found in Jesus. And only if we ask Christ to forgive our sins, do we, hope, do we have hope for an eternity in the presence of his glory. Otherwise, we are condemned to a life without hope, being separated from him forever. This is the message that all of us need to embrace, and I hope all of you have embraced it this morning. If you haven't, you need to do the so. I, it's, don't wait. Repent and turn to Jesus today if you haven't. And this is the message also that all the nations need to hear. There are far too many people in the world that are destined to an eternity without Jesus, a life without hope. Think of it, think of it this way. There are 7.3 billion people in the world. That's a big, a billion is a huge, huge number, except the government maybe, but a billion is a huge number, okay? To, to give you an example of how big a billion is, if you went back a billion minutes ago, a billion minutes, you would find yourself at 115 AD, right after the time of the apostles, shortly after Jesus walked on this earth. That's just one billion minutes. Can you imagine how long an eternity is? And that's, that's a huge number. Now, let me, for simplicity, around 7.3 billion to 7 billion. If you separated this auditorium in seven sections, there are six down here, there's one behind me, so think of it this way. Two out of these sections would call themselves Christian, whether nominal Christian or committed followers of Christ. One and a half sections would represent Islam, and one and a half sections would represent Hinduism and Buddhism. The other two sections would represent smaller religions or non-religious people. And three of the seven sections would be people that are considered unreached, people who have never heard the gospel or where the presence of Christians among them is very small, it's insignificant. That's a lot of people destined for an eternity without Christ. Can you imagine if the five people sitting next to you were all heading there? If five of the seven sections were heading to that destination, that's a lot of people and God wants us to do something about it. He wants us to go to those nations. He commanded us to go to the nations and proclaim his name and make him known, proclaim the gospel 
make disciples among all nations. Wouldn't it be amazing to see disciples of Christ among all the nations in our lifetime? Now, spreading the gospel was what Paul was doing when he spoke on Mars Hill. But being on Mars Hill was not his original plan. And that is my second point. God will change our plans. God will intervene in our lives and change our plans. When we first find Paul in the beginning of chapter 16, he's focused on the Jewish communities of Asia. He has just been joined by Timothy, whom he has circumcised so he will fit in with those Jewish communities. And his plan is to continue to go to the Jewish communities in Asia and to Bithynia. But God has other plans. Now, Paul is having great success doing that, and that's why he wants to continue. Why would he want to change? Why would you want to change when you are having success with the strategy that you are using? Nobody likes change. I mean, who among us likes change? Sometimes we don't like parking in a different spot when we come to work or church or sitting in a different seat. Who likes change? Nobody. We like our plans and we like our schedules. We don't like change. You know, when people first go on a short-term mission trip, you know what's one of the, typically one of the first questions they will ask? What is our schedule? Okay? All right? When you go on a short-term mission trip, for those of you who have been on one, you know that there is no such thing as a schedule. You go with the flow, all right? Time has a completely different meaning when you are on the mission field. But we do like our schedules, we do like our plans, we do like our routines, and we don't like change. And how much greater is our dislike for change when we are having success in what we are doing? Why would you want to risk doing something different and do something else? But yet, we see here that God changes Paul's plans. Twice we see scripture say that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from following the plans he had in mind. In Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. And in verse 6, the word for forbidden by the Spirit is kolio, which means to cut off. Now, interestingly, the end of the book of Acts, do you remember how the book of Acts ends? It ends with Paul being in, under house arrest in Rome, proclaiming the gospel without hindrance. That word without hindrance in the end of the book of Acts is akolitos. It's the very last word in the book of Acts, and it's the exact antonym of the word you have here. So in that house prison in Rome, Paul is exactly where God wants him to be, proclaiming the gospel without hindrance. For the gospel to advance, we all of us have to yield to God's leading, change our plans as he directs us, directs us and allow him to put us, to put us where he wants us. It means accepting change Sometimes finding ourselves out of our comfort zone, even finding ourselves at risk in difficult or challenging situations. For Paul, it takes something more than for the Spirit preventing him from going to these other parts for him to go over to Greece. It takes the vision 
of the men from Macedonia. When we read in verse 10 of chapter 16 that the men from Macedonia appears to Paul and he tells him, come over to Macedonia and help us. In Acts 7, we have seen the geographical shift of the gospel as Stephen is martyred and the church is persecuted and it scatters taking the gospel with them. Here, in, verses, in chapter 16 and 17 of Acts, we see the cultural shift of the gospel start to take place as it goes from the Jewish communities of Asia to the Greek and Gentile world. And this happens when the men of Macedon appeals, appears to Paul and asks for his help. Sometimes it takes for God to put the need right in front of our eyes for us to change our plans. Just it took Paul to see the men from Macedon. If you have followed the news from Greece in uh, recent years, in the last seven years, since 2009, you know that the country has been in a terrible economic crisis. It has been a recession, depression over those seven years. It is the result of too much government debt and the government's inability to service it. Borrowing too much never ends well. For Greece, the consequences have been things like 25% unemployment, youth unemployment of 60%, uh, many people losing jobs and homes, 200,000 young people leaving the country, a great brain drain as people who are the best and brightest have left for other countries in Europe to find jobs. It has been a great challenge for the small evangelical community in Greece. There are about 30,000 Greek evangelical believers among 11 million. And as they have tried to meet the needs within their own body, this has been a great challenge because contributions to Greek churches and Greek Christian nonprofits have dropped by 40% in that time period. And so you have increased need, fewer resources trying to meet them. And if that were not enough of a challenge, if you have continued to follow the news from Greece, you know that over the last 15 months, Greece has become the entry point for refugees coming over from uh, uh, different parts of Asia, from Syria, from Afghanistan, and other places. I want to put some pictures on the screen to give you a feel of what has been happening. This is the picture of a boat coming uh, to Europe, actually, and it's full of refugees. All those little dots are people in the boat. And three-quarters of them are Syrian and Afghan refugees. They will pay $1,500 a head to traffickers to make the short crossing from Turkey into Greece, hoping that they will be able to continue to another country. The next picture, uh, it is not a safe crossing, so that's why you see pictures like this, where they kiss the ground as soon as they land. It is uh, hundreds have drowned making the crossing. In the next slide, you can see the UN daily updates its numbers, and this latest update that I pulled is from the end of March. Uh, in 2015, there were 950,000 refugees that crossed into Greece from Turkey to continue on to Europe. Through the first three months of this year, there were another 152,000 refugees. It is mostly women and children. It's 40% children, 22% women. Among them are many one-parent families. There are uh, even unescorted young children. One report puts the unescorted young children at 10,000, and there are horror stories to what has happened to some of them, as you can imagine. 
Now, can you imagine the circumstances and the desperation that drives these people to do this? So many have lost family members, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, because they come from a war zone and it has been great suffering. Now, more recently, there has yet been another development. Northern European countries have decided that uh, they are going to close the borders. And you can show the next picture if you want. Um, so refugees are stuck in Greece, and you'll see them waiting in line and living in places like this, in, in unhealthy and sanitary conditions, in tents. There are 16,000 people that are stuck in, in, in that region, that in the, in where that, those pictures are from, in the northern border of Greece, hoping that the border will open and they will be able to cross and continue their trip to Europe. There are 50,000 refugees stuck throughout Greece. And you see the little toddler outside the tent there. Now, so what would you do if you were a member of that small Greek evangelical community and your already very difficult life is disrupted by yet another crisis? Would you say, I am at the limit of my resources and there is nothing I can do about this? Would you say, would you be afraid because in an age of terrorism, these people are mostly Muslim and are coming from Muslim countries? What would you do? The Greek evangelical community, of which AMG Greece is part, has decided that this is an opportunity to spread the message of the gospel. The refugees have disrupted their lives. They have made their already hard lives even harder. But they see that as an opportunity because God is bringing the nations to them. They have come together and mobilized and are serving the refugees in uh, many locations. They take turns feeding refugees, providing for basic needs, and sharing the gospel as there is opportunity. I can give you some examples. Our national workers in Athens prepare 500 meals once a week for refugees in a specific location when their terms comes. Uh, at uh, our St. Luke's Hospital in Thessaloniki, you have treated refugees for lung cancer, pregnant women, whatever. Uh, and we have Christian staff that speaks Arabic and, is, uh, and who are able to plant the seed of the gospel in their lives. There is another national worker um, in Athens who meets with 300 refugees on a regular basis and is able to help them practically, but also plant seeds in their lives. There is an Albanian church made of immigrants that is, has been uh, meeting in our property in Athens. And those are new believers that uh, have, they have formed over the last three years. And out of their meager resources, they came to Greece to find uh, jobs because it was better than Albania, I guess. But out of their meager resources, they are helping refugees. So, so many people have mobilized. They see this as an opportunity. And the volunteers, and if we can show the next picture, the volunteers have even opened up their homes. This particular picture is from this week's edition of the Greek edition of People magazine. And the Syrian mother you see there with the two children is housed in the home of our national worker and his wife. He took them in. And there are many volunteers who have done the same thing. Do you have any doubt that the seed of the gospel is being planted? The picture you see there is from the front of the property uh, in Athens. Okay? 
And a Syrian refugee was recently baptized there. He came over from Turkey into Greece. Somebody gave him a, uh, a New Testament in Arabic when he landed in Lesbos, on the island of Lesbos. He read that as he made the crossing to Athens. There he ran into, providentially, into a volunteer from the Netherlands who is based out of our property in Athens. He led him to Christ and he was baptized there. And there are many stories of refugees coming to know Christ. I mean, it's, it, God is working. My wife, who is uh, the administrator of a Christian school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, every year takes a group of seniors from the school to Greece. That's their senior trip. They go there to primarily trace the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and it's a great trip to deepen their understanding of Christian worldview. They will also serve at a refugee or homeless shelter. And this year, my son went with her. He's a senior this year. So I was talking to my son after he went there, uh, after he had gone to church, one morning in, in Greece, and he was struck by this. There was an OM missionary from Papua New Guinea serving in Greece, and he spoke that day in church. And he was talking about the refugees, and, and my son was struck by this quote. For so long, people pray for missionaries to go to the Middle East, but now the people from the Middle East have come to our front doors. My son told me, how beautiful is this? We are in a position to show God's love to hundreds of thousands of people, mostly women and children. Let's be open and love them. His heart was touched. Ministering to the refugees was not the plan for the small Greek evangelical community. But God can change our plans and give us a new direction to share his message. Will we resist it because it takes us out of our comfort zone? Will we be afraid? Or will we see it as his leading and seek to show his love? In this case, we are reaching people who would otherwise be unable to reach. The Lord is bringing the nations to us. In addition to not wanting to leave our comfort zone, sometimes we don't want to follow where God is leading because we are afraid. We think that it is not safe. We let fear control us. But where do we see God guaranteeing that nothing will ever happen to us if we follow him? God does not guarantee our safety. And that is my next point. God does not guarantee our physical safety when we serve him. Paul certainly didn't expect safety. In those two chapters of Acts, of Acts you see him in jail at Philippi. You see him changed out of Thessaloniki. You see him changed out of Berea. Proclaiming the gospel does not guarantee safety. And we heard that also this week, and I was so greatly encouraged to see how faithful people are. Our Lord Jesus told us that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Security is an illusion. I like this quote from Tim Keyes. We can't save our life. We can only spend it. So let's spend it well for Christ. We are naturally fearful people, and that is hard for us to do. Even when you listen to the news, the news is designed to make us angry and fearful. That's what drives the ratings. Or sometimes there are more legitimate reasons, like we want to 
protect our children. And we think that if we don't let them go on that mission trip to Europe or wherever else, we are protecting them from a terrorist attack or whatever. But what message are we really giving our children? How can we be trying to teach them about an all-powerful God and then turn around and tell them that that God cannot protect them, so it's up to us? Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about being uh, stupid or being careless or just not exercising basic caution. The first thing I learned when I went to Boston to college was to look both ways on one-way street. Uh, streets there, so. But, but we can guarantee our safety. We can't guarantee that we'll make it home from church today. There is nothing that we can guarantee. So we do need to be careful. But we do need to realize that when God is calling us to do something, we need to follow without worrying for our safety. Millions of our fellow believers around the world are doing just that. And the gospel is growing. That is why in Iran, you have the largest growth among the evangelical population than anywhere in the world. 19.6% annual growth according to Operation World. And there is great cost. 65 to 70% of the world's populations, population lives in religiously restrictive countries. And the number of Christians that die each year, that are, who are killed each year because they are Christians, is increasing. The latest report from Open Doors that goes through most of 2015 for the previous 12 months reports that there were 7,000 Christians that were martyred in that time period. But many missionaries, many national workers, many Christians around the world are willing to pay that price. I want to show you a picture from, from Pakistan. The picture you see was sent from one of our national workers. The man at the top right, his name is Ashraf, and he's uh, at the church of one of our national workers there. He lost his 18-year-old son, Sagar, in the bomb blast in Lahore that was in the news less than a month ago. There were many more families uh, in that group of believers who lost loved ones or who had people badly injured. Sagar had gone to the park after the Easter service with two of his cousins. And when the blast went off, he was killed. His two cousins were in critical condition. Yet despite that persecution, the gospel is making tremendous area, progress in that area. Last year, the same national workers reported that there were 1,000 Muslims that came, more than 1,000 Muslims that came to a saving knowledge of Christ. They are faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Romans 8:18 8, reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it is this hope of glory, this hope of heaven that bolsters the courage of these Christians. And that disregard for personal safety takes place all over. We heard, again, amazing stories this week of that happening. And I want to show you a video from Indonesia. It is the testimony of one of our national workers, Jan Lesnusa, who knows firsthand the, what price one pays for proclaiming the good news. Indonesia is the world's, it is a country with the world's most Muslims. And uh, we have seen more than 450 churches established there in the, in the last few years. So I would like to show you this video. It's about seven minutes, so 
Let's, let's watch the video. My father is a hard work man. He can do anything. He never asked for uh, support from missionary. My father always said to me, uh, Jan, we are here because of Christ. The people here are our friends. They are part of us because Christ died not only for us, not only for you, but for we all. He, he, he loves his, his family, he loves the people, but the people then know that he loves them. The, the tribes there uh, were people who never know about Christ, never hear about Jesus. But when my father came there, they, he told them about a Savior who will save them from their sins. And then he built church, small church in the village, and many people come to Jesus Christ. After three years, they were sent in another village, far away also from that place. But problem come to our family. Most of the people in that village never know about Jesus, but they they angry to people who uh, go to church. I remember that the Christian Missionary Alliance mission planned to open a new airstrip in that village. People were angry because they think that the people from outside will take over their pigs, their homes, their villages, and then they make a plan to kill all the newcomers, especially the, min the missionaries. One boat from uh, the government area come with missionary to ordain the airport in village where my father worked with me. I asked them, I will go first because they will come at Monday to that place. So they said that you can go first. But on Sunday the 4th, uh, when the church ministry uh, are, are going, my father, my mother, and most of the Christians were killed.
I lived there. I teach Bible school who was there now. And then one time from that place with some of the students of the Bible school, we went to village where my father was killed. We stayed three days there and make a revival meeting. You know that in three days, there are many people come to see me. They afraid to me, but they come and I preach the gospel to them. I said, I come not to kill you, but I will give you new uh, solution to receive Christ as your savior. There are many, many people, many men that what at the time was uh, growing old, about 60. They come to me in front, they cry and they said, we are the people who killed your father and mother. You have to know that at that time we don't know about Christ. I, I feel very uh, humble to God because they give me the arrow that you, they use to kill my father. I said, how do you take this for this long time? They said, this is our sign that our enemy we have killed. And now you are not our enemy anymore. We give it back to you. I myself opened a church in the town of Solo and I live there. I am be the pastor there. While I also ministry with IMG in the Bible school here. That is my testimony from when I was young. And I know that that is the way God used me, the way God uh, protect me, the way God uh, make me not to kill by the people so that I will become a man of God to preach the gospel back to the people who was enemy of the gospel. Well. That's what the gospel does. It changes places. And, and Jan escaped because he left early before, ahead of his parents to go to the next location they were going. And now, where their parents gave their lives, there are healthy churches growing, and the gospel is advancing. And we are grateful to the Lord for that. And there are people all around the world right now who deal with persecution, who are paying the price for being followers of Christ, and they are doing so uh, without concern for safety. There is no guarantee for our safety. Yet the Bible tells us again and again to fear not. Tim Key says, gospel risk-taking is not based on courage, but it is anchored in the truth that Jesus is in us and for us. 
He has conquered death. It is guaranteed by the cross and the empty tomb. So let us always keep our eyes on Jesus and trust him without thinking that if we refuse to follow him where he's leading us, somehow we'll be safe. I have one last point I want to make uh, very briefly, and that is that God does not guarantee the result. Uh, God does not guarantee that we'll have good results. He controls the results, but he doesn't promise us that we'll have good results. In the final verse of Acts 17, when Paul is left off from Mars Hill, we see that some believed, Dionysius the Areopagite, Damaris, and a few others. So even that interrupted presentation of the gospel that day resulted in people coming to know the Lord. Not that success is always the result. This week we have heard some amazing stories of success and what God is doing. But the same people who share the same stories, I and many others, can tell you of stories of failure, of tears, of heartbreak, of struggles. There is no guarantee for success. The story of Jesus himself includes suffering and a cross. But over time, there is success and the gospel is advancing. I had the privilege of being in India last fall and I got to visit some of the schools that AMG India operates there. There are 25,000 children in those schools. And they are huge schools, 1,800, 2,400 students. In one of those schools, a lot of the girls come from the families uh, of prostitutes. Can you imagine a society which, because of the caste system, girls are destined to become prostitutes because their mothers were prostitutes and their grandmothers were prostitutes? That's what they do. Dr. John David, the Indian national who started AMG India 40 years ago, he was sick to his stomach about this. And even before AMG, started, uh, AMG India started operating its own schools, he listed 200 girls, he had 200 girls list him as their father on their birth certificate so they could have a last name and they could attend public school so they could get out of this uh, life. Now, in these schools, we see uh, kids growing up, getting an education, becoming nurses, teachers, uh, other professionals, and most importantly, disciples of Christ. The gospel has changed individual lives. It has changed the community. And in this case, the fruit has been spectacular. And all because the gospel went there and one man was faithful to listen to the call of the Lord and take the gospel to that community. What all of us are called to do is to be obedient and follow God's leading. We are not responsible for the results. He is. We are responsible for our obedience. That's what God is looking from us. So, let me ask you this. Where is the Lord leading you today? What is your Macedonian call? What plans do you need to drop to follow where God is leading you? Are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? Or are you going to refuse to leave your comfort zone? Or refuse to obey because you are afraid? Are you willing to follow no matter what? 
so much work remains to be done to make the good news known to the nations. But if we obey, we may see his name glorified among all the nations of the earth in our lifetime. Jesus is our hope. He's our hope of glory. So pray and ask, Lord, what will you have me do? Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do. I'm here at your feet, and I want the same hope that I have experienced to be the hope that all the nations experience.